us, and they're better than we deserve, and I think we all say that, and, um, and I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm probably the least qualified or the least worthy, at least, to be standing up here, and, um, but I do want to try to mind the Lord this morning. If you take your Bible, go to the book of Acts, chapter number 16, um, we will begin there this morning. And um, I was already told uh, to uh, that we do have to eat today, so I'm just picking. Um, no, it's good to see some folks, and it's good to see some some friends. And uh, uh, I tell you, as a missionary, what, what's interesting um, is you you travel around, you work at camp, and uh, you meet these these young people, and you pick on them, and you uh, you carry on, you eat their food, and you, you steal their snacks and everything else. And then they grow up and they go to the mission field, and um, and uh, I, the Lord uh, the Lord called us to uh, Lord saved us when I was fourteen years old back in two thousand one, and the Lord called me to preach when I was seventeen, and um, and uh, I guess somewhere and I can't remember all the dates off the top of my head right now, um, but the Lord had dealt with my heart about missions, and uh, when I surrendered to preach when I was seventeen, I went full time. Um, my grandfather ran a Bible camp over in Georgia, and, um, and my uncle was there. And then we left, uh, my uncle had left to go pastor. And uh, I was at a winter camp, and I had been uh, working there for the winter camp. I was working a job, and I came in just to assist with the winter camp. And uh, Now, God did some great things during that winter camp. And uh, Lord really began to work in my heart, um, really about what, what I was supposed to do. He called me to preach, but what am I supposed to do? And I was already serving in our church. I was teaching uh, junior church. I was uh, getting to preach, and, and I loved it. I mean, I enjoyed preaching to kids, screaming at them, you know, holding them upside down and stuff. I love doing things, you know. Um, and we're not live streaming, so I can talk, you know, freely. And uh, so, no, but I had a good time. And, but I wanted to do something for the Lord. And, um, and so that, that winter camp, my grandfather asked me, he said, I want you to pray about coming and working here. And uh, now it would take a full-time commitment, and, um, and so I began praying about that, and I was, I was 17 years old. I, I, I mean, you know, I was working a good job. I was, at that time, I mean, it was, I was making good money. I lived at home, and uh, Mom cooked for me, and, and I made good money. So, you know, it was nice, and, um, but I, I was working that job, and I remember praying about it, going to work, and uh, I didn't really like the job per se. I was doing third shift sanitation. I hated the job, to be honest with you, but I liked the money. And uh, nobody really loves their job. They just they enjoy having money. And um, so if you, you know, somebody said, no, I love my job. I said, well, then give your paycheck back. And they're like, mm. I'm like, all right. So, I mean, if we're honest, we, we don't really love our job as much as we think we do. We, we do enjoy having money. <laughs> and... Um, and I did. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I, I enjoyed having money. I enjoyed being able to, to, to do some fun things. And, um, but God just kept dealing with my heart about it. And so when I was about 17, um, right before I turned 18, I moved down to the Bible camp. And uh, I started working there full time. And uh, I, I didn't do anything special. Um, all I did, I worked. I cleaned. I you know, took care of everything. We had 100 acres there. Uh, we had horses. I maintained a lot of things there and, and did a lot of work. And I enjoyed it. God taught me a lot. And um, I worked there for quite some time. We'd have missionaries come through. They'd stay at the camp, and I'd get to meet missionaries, and I loved it. And, uh, and I would tell missionaries all the time. And, and here I was. I made $100 a week. I didn't really make much money uh, at the Bible camp. But I would tell a missionary every time they come through, if you ever need anything, just let me know. You know, like I had, you know, a big bank account or something I could do. And I, but I was willing, at least, to do it. And um, I'd met my, my wife at camp. Um, and uh, her family was missionaries that were in Bulgaria or in Romania, and they were going back to the islands. And so they had stayed, and um, I met her, with, met her dad, and, um, and I told him, I told Brother Blaylock, I said, Brother, I said, uh, if you ever need anything, just let me know. You know, because I, I would say that, and I really meant it. Um, and he finally called me one day. He said, look, he said, this, they got down to the field. Um, I would went to visit my wife down there, my girlfriend at the time, and I went down, visited her, got to preach there to the young people. I loved it. And I told them then, I said, if you need me to come back, I'll come back. And I had no money. I mean, I had I'd scrap metal. I'd done everything, gave plasma. I did all kinds of stuff in order to get money to go on that trip. And, um, and so when I went on that trip, when I told them that, it's not like I had money. I could just, you know, load up and go down. 
But I did, I did want to be willing. You know, if the Lord opened up a door, I'd, I'd step through it. And uh, I, the Lord opened up the door. And uh, we, we left the camp. I went down there for nine months. And uh, in that time, the Lord really began to deal with my heart about the mission field and about being there. And, um, and I've tried to be obedient to the Lord in all those things. And uh, we came back. We went on deputation. And uh, I left undersupported. Um, I left when God told me to leave. And, uh, and I, did, I couldn't tell you why. I mean, my mission board was like, I, we don't think you should leave. And my pastor looked at me. Brother Philbeck looked at me. And he said, David, he said, uh, he said, do you really believe the Lord wants you to go? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, then I'm behind you. And uh, no hesitation. He said, I'm behind you. We'll support you. And, um, and so we went down to the Macedonia mission board, and they, they had an exit interview, you know, where they go over everything, make sure everything's good for you to leave. And they looked at me, and they're like, your support's not where it needs to be. And I told them, I said, well, the Lord wants me to go. And, uh, and I didn't know why. And, uh, brother, you don't know why, but God does. And, uh, and everybody will question things. And people, uh, people will say this, people will say that. But at the end of the day, we mind the Lord. And uh, in Acts chapter number 16, I believe, is, is a beautiful picture of just simply being obedient to the Lord. And, um, and, and I know today is a missions conference. Uh, I know uh, for, for the church here, um, there's a lot of things that, that go through your mind on a missions conference. You've got the missionaries that are here, uh, and, and, and you've got the conference here that, that's going to basically set the tone for your church for the rest of the year until you do your next conference. And so I, I want to be mindful today because a lot of times we get, uh, there, there's, in all, in all of deputation, and I've been on furlough uh, twice. This is our second time really on furlough. And, and so in all of those times, and this, our last one really wasn't a great furlough. It was more of another deputation. I had to raise more support. Um, and this is the first time we've been able to report to most of our churches but I'll be honest with you, we've been through a lot of missions conferences, we go through a lot of churches, and, and I know what it's like to sit there. I've been a member of a church, I've given faith promise. I've sat there and, and, and prayed about what to give and, and, and all those things. But can I just be honest with you a little bit? A lot of times in our missions conferences when we sit here and we look at our faith promise cards, we see, we see a number. And there's nothing wrong with that. We'll pray about a specific number. We live in a world of numbers. You gotta have you gotta have a number for this, you gotta have a number for that, you gotta you gotta everything goes back to a number. Well then in most missions conferences, um, and, and the missionaries will know this, some of you other folks may not know this. I, I a lot of times don't like missions conferences. And the reason is there's a mindset to some, and I would say a small percentage of missionaries where it's a competition. I'm not in competition with any other missionaries. It's not about me getting the field before them, or, or, and I've sat there, and, and I know some of y'all are probably thinking it's crazy, but I have literally sat and listened to missionaries trying to be better than the guy that was before them. And, okay, y'all, y'all hear that from the missionary? Right. Why? Because it's that way. Years ago, I, we were in a missions conference out in New Mexico, and um, I loved it. The pastor sat all the missionaries down the first night. He said, I want to let you know, he said, we voted last week to take all of you on. He said, there's no competition. He said, you all were taken on. He said, so number one, he said, you can just take that as a relief. He said, you've all been taken on unless you do something stupid. (laughs) And uh, so, you know, there was always that little bit of mindset, okay, don't do anything stupid, don't do anything stupid. And, you know, but as a missionary, a lot of times that, that whole competition just... I don't like it. I don't like being around people that are just, you know, it's all about me. I can't share this. I can't share that. Um, you know, look, I want to help every missionary I can get to the mission field. But I also want every church that we're in, I'm not here for money. I'm, I'm here for, for really two reasons. One, I want you to know more about my mission field, and I want you to pray for me. And, and you say, oh, I've heard that before. A missionary says, your prayers are more important to us than your money. Now, we have to have money in order to stay. But I don't care how much money you've got. You can throw every bit of money at a guy that's walking to go kill himself, and he don't care. The missionary is not there to give out money. The missionary is there to get out the gospel. 
when Brother Shabdu is walking through that desert, look, and he don't have water because <laughs> he forgot to take water with him, he don't need money. You can't throw money in the ground and water come up. When you're witnessing to that, uh, that, that Jewish man that has the only thing he wants to do to you is kill you, or that Muslim man that you're going to encounter, all he wants to do is to kill you. Look, you can throw money at him. He don't care one bit. They're not interested in your bank account. When you get to Peru, they don't really care how much money you got. When, when all of these missionaries get to the mission field, nobody cares that they're a missionary. They don't. They don't care how much support they have. It, it changes. I'll just be honest with you, brother. It changes that whole, uh, when, when you get to the mission field and you step foot on the mission field and you're no longer the missionary, you're the pastor to those people. You're, you're no longer uh, trying to raise support and you're no longer talking to churches. You're talking to lost people that they don't care one bit about the money you got. And you can't depend on that. You're at, one, at that point, you're depending on the Lord and the prayers of His people. You know why God probably kept you on deputation for five years? Because you need a lot of prayer. And that's, not a, that's nothing against you. That's, that's to the field that you're going to. God's people ought to pray. I, as a missionary, ought to pray more for our missionaries. But I've been on the field. I've been there when, when look, the only thing that got us through is through the prayers of God's people. Our first, uh, first tent meeting that we did, my little girl got run over by a truck. Okay, Katie, I guess my, my oldest girl, got run over by a truck. Okay? I didn't need God's money. I didn't need church's money. I needed churches to pray for us. I had a pastor up the road uh, up in Yakinville. He said, brother, he, he called me on a Saturday almost a week after she got run over and said, Brother, I just want to let you know we've been praying for you all week. He said, Last Sunday, he said, The Lord put you on our heart. And he said, We've been praying for you all week. And he said, I just wanted to call and let you know. He had no idea she got run over that Sunday. But God did. And God put a church to pray for us for a whole week. Had no idea what was going on. Even when I told him, he's like, Brother, I had no idea. Had no idea. But God did. And when, when, we, when, we, when we step back away from what you know, is supposed to happen, we, we live inside the, these restrictions and we say, well, we got to have 100% support. we got to have this. we got to have that. we got to have this. And God says, no, do this. Just mind the Lord. So if we were to take the numbers off of here or leave these numbers on and forget about what our bank accounts say and just simply say, Lord, what do you want me to do? then God can lead us. If we're willing to say, Lord, I'll give everything. Because every missionary that goes to the field leaves everything. And we have money. And I know that's you depend upon the money, but we depend upon the churches to send the money. Because if the churches don't send, we, we don't eat. Most missionaries aren't going to leave the field the moment the, the money dries up. They're going to stay a little bit too long and then try to figure out how to get home. Well, the missionaries have no intentions of leaving the field when they get there. But I simply want to just kind of give us a little bit of things from the Scripture. And I, all those things are just simply what's in my heart at the moment. And I'm, I'm a different type of preacher. Can I just be honest with you? I, I, don't, I, know, I know how your preacher preaches. I've listened to his, some of his messages online. Look, I, but I'm different. All right, I, and and today will be just a little bit different as well. All right, uh, I don't recommend any of you missionaries follow what I do. All right, <laughs> um, it took me a long time to get support, and I'm still not at 100. percent All right, and um, I told the church the other day, I said I'm 100 percent of what God's given me, and uh, so I'm just going to stick with that. It may be 70 percent or 60 percent of what the mission board says it should have, but God's given us everything that we've needed, and um, so uh, so here we go. Acts chapter 16. All right, now I'll give you a little bit of history to this as we walk into it. Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul desires to go where? Asia. He goes to Macedonia. You're ahead of me, brother. Slow down, slow down, slow down. Paul desires to go to Asia. And the Holy Spirit says, no. Paul desires to go to Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit says, no. Then Paul prays, and I believe Paul was praying before that, 
I believe Paul was obedient to the Spirit of God. Paul desired. There's nothing wrong with going to Asia. Except God said not yet. They eventually get to Asia. They eventually send men into all of Asia and all of Asia hears. But not yet. Just wait. And that's the hardest thing for us to ever have to do is just simply wait. You had COVID. I started deputation, quit my job, and guess what? We had tornadoes hit. <laughs> and the, whole, the house I lived in was, was messed up, and I spent like three months cutting trees. When I was supposed to be making phone calls, I was cutting trees, and when I was filling up my chainsaw, I was calling pastors. But God took care of us. But sometimes God just says, slow down and trust me. And that's exactly what God told Paul here. He said, slow down. Trust me. And so Paul desired to go into Asia um, all the way down through there. That's, that's verses 1, uh, basically all the way down through uh, verse 6. Um, but then he says in verse number 7, And after they had come to Mysia, they said to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down through Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Okay? Now, my son knows this message and he, he, he's going to quote it to you, um, but I'm actually going to go out of order. All right? I, or who was it? I think it was Emily told me the other day, she said, you preached that before. And I said, well, it's what the Lord gave me. And, uh, all right, and uh, so, but what I want to give you this morning is just a couple simple thoughts, all right? Uh, when we look in verse, we know that Paul gets all the way down to Macedonia, all right? Um, in verse number 13, it says this, And on the Sabbath day we went out to the city uh, by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Tyre, Tyra, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord had opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. So in verse number 13 and 14, we find this lady, Lydia, that gets born again. All right? And her whole household. Praise the Lord. Now in verse number uh, 16, all right, it says that it came to pass as we went to prayer. A certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which bought, brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. She's saying truth right there, by the way. But she's a soothsayer. Just because somebody can say truth doesn't mean that they're of God. All right? It may look right, it may sound right, but it's not always right, all right? So the vessel does count here, all right? This is an unworthy, dirty vessel that's proclaiming truth, all right? But what does it do? See, here's something interesting. If you don't know, uh, if you rely on the Spirit of God and something sounds good and you're of God and, and, and the Holy Spirit lives in you, all right, you know a lot of the ways we can tell whether somebody is true or false prophet? They may sound good, but if it grieves you, not the message never grieved Paul. Look in verse, uh, look what it says there in verse 18. And this did she many days, but Paul being grieved. He wasn't grieved at her message, he was grieved at the messenger. All right? There's a lot of people that say truth, but the messenger grieves me. All right? The reason for that is they're probably not right with God. All right? You can take that, you can hold on to that, you can figure out what that means. And, uh, but here we go. All right. Well, but what does Paul do? He grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. And when her masters saw that the hopes of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them in the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. Now, What's interesting about this, and, and, and I know you preachers, uh, we, we get these books called commentaries, all right? We read after other men. And I remember as I was studying through this chapter, there's a lot of people that don't know whether or not this young lady got born again, all right? And they say, well, the scriptures never said that. We see the devil was cast out and whatnot, but we don't really know. And I'll just be honest with you, I like just taking the Bible just simply as it says it, all right? 
Now, we know the devil was cast out, number one. So she was, she was cleaned out of that. Now, we understand the devil could be cast out, but she could still not be saved. But there's something that gives them good indication that this woman was saved. Number one, the people that she used to work for have no use of her anymore. Okay? So there was a change that took place. So the old crowd she used to run around with don't want anything to do with her anymore. She's of no use to the world anymore, but we find that she's a good use to Paul and them. All right? There's more change in this young lady's life than what I've seen a lot of independent Baptists. But there's a change that takes place. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Now, we can go over to the book of Luke and we can understand that when, when that devil is cast out and the Holy Spirit doesn't move in, that devil wanders about and then comes back in with more. And the, worst, the, the last state is worse than the first. If that devil could have went back in, those men would have got it back in. But they said, hey, she's of no use anymore. I'm sure they, they, they probably talked to that devil a little bit. And they probably said, hey, just go back into her. And they said, oh, oh, I can't go back in there. There's somebody else in there now. Someone else took up residence. And he's stronger than I. So we see that this young woman got born again. Now, in that, Paul, I, I mean, these, these guys drag him in the street. Paul and Silas are arrested. They're put in prison. Um, and at midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises um, unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. We have here three people that got saved. Now, we know the families of, of both Lydia and this Philippian jailer. The Bible tells us that they were saved. And they were all saved the same way, repentance and belief in the gospel. And I, I've, heard, I've heard the Pentecostals and these uh, believe-only people say, well, all Paul told this man was to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. So no repentance is mentioned. Well, the interesting thing is, if a man is already repenting towards God, why do you have to tell him to do that? There's no indication that this man was rejecting Christ. He came, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He already let go of everything else he was holding on to. And he said, look, whatever it is, I'll do it. If, Paul had, if God had told Paul, he'd tell that man to uh, go dunk himself in the river seven times, guess what he would have done? Went down to the river seven times. If he'd have told him to stand on his head for 20 minutes, he'd have probably done it. But thankfully, he said all he had to do was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what he needed to do. But in all three of these individuals, you have three groups of people. Number one, you have a religious group. That's who Brother Shabu is going to reach. They're religious. Much like Lydia going down to the river on the Sabbath day, worshiping God. They believe that they're worshiping Jehovah. They believe they're worshiping God. They're, they're committed, more committed than most of us are. I mean, I don't know if I can give up bacon. I'm just honest with you. I love sausage. I don't know if I can give up ribs. All right? I'm picking. I would if I needed to. We went a good long time. We went like three months with no bacon in Beckway. It was awful. I tell you. Thankfully, I had coffee to hold me over. But here we go. We, we, we've got Lydia, a religious lady. And sometimes we wonder, well, God, why now? You know what? Paul, Paul could have said there, first part of chapter 16, God, I want to go to Asia. The Holy Spirit said no. And Paul probably could have said, well, I'm going to go anyways. They need to hear the gospel. God, there's a need there, and they need to hear the gospel. So Paul packs his bag, goes there. Nothing happens. But Paul's obedient to God. He goes and he meets Lydia. But Paul probably, I don't know, Paul probably still has a burden for the Asian people. We know they're in Turkey, is, is the modern day Turkey now. 
But do y'all notice where Lydia's from? She's from Tyra, Tyra. Do y'all know where that is? It's a city in Asia. You find that in Revelation, the twelve churches of Asia, or the, the seven churches of Asia. One of them is Tyra, Tyra. So the first person that he reaches is somebody from Asia. God burns you to go reach the Jewish people. Well, guess what? There's Jews here. You say, well, why now? Well, we don't know why now. I'm sure that you've... Uh, we were last night, we were sitting at um, uh, Cracker Barrel. Um, and, and what's been interesting is we've been here in the States. My first week here, we went to Golden Corral. The guy from Golden Corral, the waiter guy, guess where he was from? Jamaica. All right? Islands in the West Indies. All right? We went to Dollywood. All right? Forgive me. All right? We got passes. But we went to Dollywood. Guess what? Almost every person that was running a ride was from Jamaica. We were last night sitting, and, and I was in, um, we were up near, almost near Virginia. Was eating with another missionary couple. A guy walks in, him and his girlfriend. Guess where they were from? They were from St. Lucia. All right? Last night. We were sitting at a restaurant. The lady come in, started taking our order. You know where she was from? Haiti. And I get to talk to all of them, tell them what we're doing. But here I am. I'm not in the islands anymore, but I still get to witness to people from the islands. Maybe not the one I'm working on, but I get to witness to people from the islands. We were coming through the, uh, the airport. We were flying in. We were in Miami. There was a Jewish fella right behind me. Got to talk to him for just a little bit. I'm sure that you've met along the road, you've probably met some people, uh, maybe some heritage to Japan. And you've probably had opportunity to witness to them. Peru. Uh, I mean, you hear Spanish now. If you're anywhere and you hear somebody speaking in Spanish, you're probably listening real close. Why? Because the Peruvian people need to hear the gospel. And when your mind's set on that, you're looking for every opportunity. I'm sure uh, this lady, I don't know, but I imagine Paul, knowing the people of Asia, maybe having some understanding of where they're from, he probably thought, this lady right here, she's from Asia. And he was looking for those opportunities. What's interesting here is we, we oftentimes look at verse number 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and Satan. And, and, and praying him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now we'll oftentimes look at that, and then also in verse number 10 where it says, the Lord had called us. And I've heard that a lot, and there's nothing wrong with that. We as missionaries, we have a calling of God to go. And we deal heavily upon that call. The Lord has called me to go here and preach the gospel. The Lord has called uh, Brother Shabdu to reach uh, the Jewish people. Uh, we, we've got the people uh, in Japan. We've got the people in Peru. We've got the West Indian people. Y'all have the mountain people. All right? But here's the thing. In all of those, we talk about countries and regions and, and populations. I, I'll be honest with you. The whole population thing is what, what got me. I'm sitting in church as a missionary, and uh, I, I mean, everybody gets it up there, and uh, we're going to Peru. There's, there, how many people are in Peru? 33 million people, all right? Uh, Japan, how many people? Is, 126 million. The Jewish people, I mean, there's millions of Jews, but 1.3 the Negev. You know how many people live in Bekwe? 5,000. You know how many people live in Kanawan? 2,500. You know how many people live in Union? 2,500. How many people live in Myro? 500. Those are just the the, the main, the little little islands of of the Grenadines. The whole population of St. Vincent is just 107,000. So, I I mean, uh, we're talking about missionaries in competition. You know, you get guys up there, you know, 100-something million, and I'm like, I'm going to reach 5,000, 6,000 people. You know where, where I fall on that list if we're, if we're reaching the most people? I'm at the bottom. <laughs> I don't really have much to, 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 to do. But then we start thinking about it. When did God call us to a population? And I, you mean, look, I'm not, I'm not saying don't mention that. People need to know the need. Okay? So please mention those numbers. They're needed. But here's the thing about it. 
Missions is not about the numbers on your card. And it's not about the numbers on the field. Because God is, I'm not a number to God. How many of y'all have ever heard that people, you know, people try to, I, I don't know, be smart. And they're like, well, what if somebody's in, in the jungles of Africa and, and God wants to, to reach them? You know, would God send a man in the jungles of Africa to hell because he didn't hear the gospel? You know, it's interesting. I, I, I had a gentleman mention that the other day to me and he was talking. And I said, well, what about, what, what about the Ethiopian eunuch? Here's a man in a, in a desert, in a chariot, that wants to know about God. What does God do? He sends a man. He sent a man. So there's twofold there. Can God send a man to somebody that needs to hear the gospel? Absolutely. Every person that goes to hell goes to hell because they rejected God. Now they may not know the Bible as we know it. But ultimately, they reject God. God has a way to reveal to every individual's heart, and they respond to the light that they have been given. We in America have had a bright light all of our lives. I told somebody the other day, I said, for me, it was never a matter of belief in order to be saved. I've always believed. from, From a child, there's never been a time in my life where I did not believe in God. But there was a lot of time in my life where I did not repent there's a lot of people that are on the other side of that they need to repent believe the gospel I already believe the gospel all I need to do is repent but there's others they've never heard the gospel they don't know what they need to turn from when they've been when they've been taught their whole life to keep the law and to keep these things uh, they don't know any better the, the Japanese folks, they, uh, many of them have rejected religion in all. They don't, they, God, the Bible, none of it makes a difference to them. That's why they have no hope. The Peruvian people, I imagine Catholic is the main thing there. They're trying to work their way to heaven. They're trying to do all of these things in order to get in good favor with God. But every individual is different. Every people group is different we may have an idea in our mind of what it is and we think well I'm going to reach this person and that person but when it boils down to it missions is not about the numbers it's about the people you have a religious lady that gets born again Lydia a lady that's trying to do all that she can in order to get to heaven you have a lady that's in sin paganism She's a rejecter of God, and she needs to be born again. You have a man that is a, a man that, that, that is trying to take care of his family. He's living a good, honorable life. He's a soldier. He's got duty. He's got honor. He's got loyalty. This man's got a family, and he's wanting to make sure he can take care of his family. Those are the typically ones we run into around here. Brother, come to church. Well, I've got to work. I've got to take care of my family. I hear that so often. Well, I'd come to church, but I've got to take care of my family first. Well, the Bible says to seek ye first the kingdom of God. If we put God first, He'll take care of everything else. But in this, we have, we have a religious, a pagan, we have a, 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 an honorable person. We think about the timings of missions. What if Paul had delayed just a little bit? What if Paul said, you know what, I think I'll wait. Well, we see what Paul did in verse number 10. The Bible says he immediately endeavored to go. And that's where we're at. Paul immediately, he didn't waste time, he, he endeavored. That word endeavored is the same word uh, that we see, the, the, the Hebrew word. I believe it's 119 times I wrote it down. Um, I don't speak Hebrew, I don't speak Greek. I'm from Georgia, all right? I speak Georgian, all right? And uh, so I can't pronounce those words very well. But what I do know, it's used 119 times. Many of those times it's used in the word of seeking. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. All right? As a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Those words that seeking there is the same word that we get endeavored. So when Paul endeavored to go, he was looking for an opportunity. 
He wasn't waiting for an opportunity. If we wait for one, it may never come. But if we seek for it, we'll find it. So in that idea, Paul is seeking for the opportunity to reach. Notice what he said here. Never to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Them. What missions is, it's not the numbers. It's about them. See, if we could ever get it in our mind that missions is when we give, what are we giving to? See, I'm not giving, I'm not giving to the offering plate. I'm not even giving to the church. And essentially, I am giving to the Lord. Don't miss that. But when I give to the Lord, my hopes is that I can reach and preach to Rita. See, because Rita needs to be saved. Rita's been in church. She's got her little boy, Leon J. Leon J is, is young. But Leon J needs to get born again. Now, Rita, her mom is Rochelle. And see, we wonder sometimes what our, what our mission giving does. Our very first tent meeting, guess who we reached? Rochelle. Hold on to that picture. Just hold on to it. But Rochelle came to our gospel tent meeting. Never wanted to go to church before. Never had a desire to go to church. But her mom, right here, Miss Lonnie, had got saved years ago. Miss Lonnie was staying with her daughters, Miss Rochelle and Miss Anne Marie. And as they were staying there, guess what? We had a tent set up. Now, we had given out gospel tracts. Uh, we had given out invitations. But if you knew where their house was, y'all got that little hill right there? Theirs is about four times that high, and it's nothing but rocks, and they climbed that to get to their house. I don't know how to get to their house. I never gave them an invitation. Well, they could see our tent. So, Ms. Lonnie said, girls, let's go to this tent meeting. Now, before they went to that tent meeting, they were sitting around Ms. Emery's coffee table. They had a piece of paper. That piece of paper was an outline that I had wrote basically disproving a prophet that Miss Emery followed. And she looked at that paper before she left. She told me this a couple months ago. She said, I looked at that paper and she said, I will never listen to that man. She didn't know I was the one running the tent meeting. But two nights later, Miss Rochelle gets born again. It was about a year later, Miss Anne Marie got born again. Miss Anne Marie was holding on to her baptism, was holding on to her good works. I mean, literally, you can ask my wife. We would sit night after night at church, and the one that asked the most questions was Miss Anne Marie. Most of the time, we got people uh, asking questions of why should I wear a skirt. She was told if she put on a pair of pants, she was going to hell. So, how do you tell somebody that? Well, you got to keep wearing a skirt. Because you're not, you're, they're not under the fear anymore. But you still want them to dress right, live right. So they said, well, what's modest? And I got to teach it to somebody that was actually interested. But those ladies got born again. Miss A. Marie's got a friend, Miss Patricia. Miss Patricia came to church several times. Miss A. Marie invited her. We'd bring her to church. But Miss Patricia's never been saved. Would you pray for Miss Patricia to get born again? See, when we give, it's not about the number on the card. It's about them. See, my money doesn't go to... Uh, now, obviously, we have to eat. All right? But our money goes to reach them with the gospel. I'll leave a couple of these up here. But these are the folks that are saved. Now, Brother Michael, all right? He's a pastor of another... Or a deacon of another church. All right? Tremendous man, but he's up in St. Vincent. Brother Mitchell and his family. Pastor in Beckway. All right? Talking about the timing of getting to the field. Now, notice this. Brother Mitchell pastored a church. I show up, talk to him on a Sunday, he leaves a week later. He was going to have to close the church down while his wife went and had a baby. He didn't know what he was going to do. I show up, and he said, well, brother, he said, would you fill in for me for three months while I'm gone? Amen. If I'd have waited another week, he wouldn't have even known me. Never would have had time to pray about it and would have closed the church down while, I, while he was gone. But if I'd have left a week later, hmm. see, if Paul had waited, 
Y'all notice the, the, the chain of events there in Acts chapter 16. When he get all the way there, uh, he reached Lydia. Because he reached Lydia, they were going to pray, and that damsel was following him and grieved him. All right? Then when she gets saved, guess what? Then they take him and arrest him and throw him in a jail. Then what happens is there's an earthquake that happens. Now, I know, I know in our churches we've always heard God sent an earthquake. But in the Bible it just says it happened. So if it happened and God didn't send it, guess what? If Paul hadn't gone, that earthquake still would have happened. The doors would have opened. The chains would have fell off. And there would have been nobody there to call, tell that man not to kill himself. We wonder why God sends us. There may be a man about to walk into that forest and you may be able to stand there one day. You may not know anything else but be able to put the word hope on a sign that just simply says hope. And a man might get born again. May even be delivered from just that and then get saved later on. We don't know. But God puts us on a path and if we would simply be obedient to God, we don't know who God's going to put us in that path with. Brother Mitchell's a good example of that. For years, I've known Andy. Andy's a friend of mine. Andy's actually watching our boat right now. But Andy's lost. When I first met Andy, he did not believe in God whatsoever. Wanted nothing to do with church, don't care about it. He hates all pastors. All pastors are the same. And if you grew up around what he did, you'd understand. The Catholic priest loved all the little boys there when he was. He'd rather get beat by his mom than go to church. He'd take, he'd go, when he was supposed to go to church, now his mama didn't take him to church, which is kind of funny, but it, he, she'd send him to church. And as a boy, he'd take his church clothes off, hang them up in a tree, go swim. When church let out, he'd put his church clothes on and go back home. But he didn't want to get around that priest. Why? Because he saw what went on. He's seen pastor. He's, he told me this. He said, I've helped every pastor on this island. He said either financially or physically or something. He said not one of them has ever given me thing in return. And he told me that after I gave him $1,000 for letting us use his boat. We loaded up his boat with food and supplies. We took it up to help another island, and we sailed it back. And he, he told me, you can use it for free. But I, the Lord put it on my heart to give him $1,000. And the church sent me $1,000 after the Lord put it on my heart. Imagine that. And I walked up to him, I gave him $1,000 in cash with a big thank you card. And he told me, he said, you were the first to ever give me anything back. And I got to tell him it wasn't me, it was a bunch of churches. But on that same sailing trip, he talked to another missionary and he told that missionary, he said, before I met David, he said, I didn't believe in God. But he said, I believe there is a God. Now he's still not born again. But he's seen enough in my life to believe that there's a God. But Andy needs to be born again. Would you pray for Andy? Yes, sir. Andy's son, Drew. I, I've been able, we, we lived in his downstairs. Andy lived upstairs. We lived downstairs. Uh, Drew farmed the field there and made chickens and made a mess and made noise and everything else. All right? We, we dealt with a lot being there. But Drew's an entrepreneur. He wants to be rich. He wants to make a bunch of money. But Drew needs to be born again. So when we pray, when we give, when we, we put money in the plate, we're praying for Drew. We're giving so that Drew can hear the gospel. Now, I don't know all these guys. This guy, all he ever told me his name was was Ross. All right? Short for Rasta. But then Ollie. Ollie's my friend. Now, if I need bananas, guess who I get bananas from? Ollie. All right? If I need fruits, vegetables, whatnot, I go get them from Ollie. He's my friend. But Ollie's a Rastafarian. The guy right here in the back, I don't remember his name either. But that man's a Rastafarian. I believe they're, they're, they're growing their hair out to keep that, um, that Nazarite vow. I shaved my head most of the time. He rubbed my head one day. I was putting my, my vegetables in my bag and he rubbed my head. And he said, I thought you was a Christian. And I said, I am. He said, don't you know you're not supposed to cut your hair? And I looked at his table. I said, how'd you put them grapes on your table? You know, they can't touch grapes if they've taken that Nazarite vow. I said, have you ever been to a funeral? you ever touched a dead? I said, if you did that, then you're supposed to go shave your head at the temple and burn it and start over again. I said, have you ever done any of that? Uh, all of a sudden, I knew a little more scripture than the one verse he knew. He didn't want to talk anymore. <laughs> he said, why do you do that? 
Because they need to hear the truth. Does he like what I have to say? Absolutely not. They believe they're the true Jews. So will you pray for the true Jews? <laughs> That's a joke, by the way. But they really think they are the true Jewish people. But they need to be born again. Now, most of those guys live in shacks. I got to witness of this guy one day. Sat down and talked to him for over an hour. This is Charles. Now, Charles is from America. Charles is, he's 90, he's probably like 97 now. But Charles is in his 90s. Charles is a, is, is a retired architect teacher. One of his students built a, a, little, a little tower called Trump Tower. One of his students did. The man's a multi-millionaire and lives in Beckwood. Charles is an agnostic. But I got to sit for over an hour talking to him about the Bible and talking about God. And he looked at me when he was done. He said, I still don't believe what you believe. But I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but he basically said this. He said, I know for a fact you believe what you believe. So he was confident that I knew what I believed. But he still wasn't ready to believe it yet. So when we give, we give so that I can go witness to multimillionaires. Charles is about to die. Would you pray for Charles? Same day, same day, same place, sitting up at Andy's restaurant. You got Andy. I talked to Charles, but then I turned around and talked to Glenn. Now, if I was live streaming, I couldn't show this picture. <laughs> and don't put any of these pictures on Facebook, please. Glenn hates my guts. I'm just honest with you. I've been cussed out by Glenn probably 10 or 12 times. You want to know why? Because when he's hungry and he don't have food for his family, I buy him food. I'll buy food for him. I'll give it to him. But I won't give him money. I'll, I'll feed him. I'll clothe his family. We've given out bags of clothes. I've given out food like crazy to this man. I've bought lobsters from him that I've never gotten. they got to be this big by now. Glenn hates my guts. The last time I talked to Glenn, he cussed me out. But Glenn needs to be born again. As much as I get aggravated at Glenn, my heart breaks for him. His girlfriend, Asheba, their four kids, they need to be born again. When we give, we're not giving uh, for anything else but simply just trying to reach people like Glenn with the gospel. Would you pray for Glenn? You say, I'm a missionary going to Japan. I know. You got people like Miss Beverly. Our, our first place we did Bible study was at Miss Beverly's house. She claims to be a Christian, claims to be born again, but she's holding on to her water baptism. She believes because she, if you ever ask her, if you've ever been born again, I got baptized. She'll believe that it's repentance and belief in the gospel, but when you finally get her down to it, guess what? It's water baptism. I've, I've, I've preached it, I've gone over and over and over again with it, and, and it don't matter how many times I do that, I'm going to move this up just a little bit, no matter how many times, I've preached more on water baptism standing in her front yard preaching to only her, having a message going a completely different direction, and God bring it right back to water baptism. Why? Because that's what she's holding on to. So when we witness to people, when we go out, and, and, and her daughter and her, her, her husband, Bruce, they need to be born again. Now, Everson, I was, I was writing their names on the back for y'all this morning. But Everson and uh, we got Lynn Roy and we got Ryan here. And then that kid in the background is my son. Y'all pray for him too. But these three boys, y'all wanna, y'all, if y'all ever want to picture what trouble is, this is what trouble is right here. Trouble walks in, guess what? It's going to be an interesting day. But Everson... Everson has been to church. Man, he come in. He come in in a pair of underwear. I've given him pants and a shirt. And guess what? He come in the next week, shirtless. I mean, trouble. He was the kid. Katie was telling me she's like, you know, right before we left, we they were sitting up in a tree, and he's throwing rocks at my kids. I mean, he's just trouble. But nobody loves that kid. 
Ryan, in that picture you've got, Ryan's the one you can just barely see his face. You know what his nickname is? Not nice. And they go by a lot of nicknames there. Everybody calls him not nice. They told me that. I said, no. I said, what's your real name? He said, not nice. I said, that's not your real name. I'm the, probably the only person on the island that calls him Ryan. Everybody else calls him not nice. His sister, Kira, made a profession. But I don't know that Kira's saved or not. But Kira needs to be saved whether she is or not. Got Shemaiah. Now, I love Shemaiah. I'm going to give both of these to you. I'll set them right there. But those two girls need to be born again. I'm going to give you, well, hold on. I'll, I'll get that to you. Just. Shemaiah, and Kira needs to be born again. Shemaiah, she made a profession a couple months back while we were on the field. And I talked to her and I dealt with her. Shemaiah's mom is never home. She works on another island. She lives with her uncle. She, she's had a lot of bad things that's happened to her. But she's got a lot of bad influences as well. But Shemaiah, I want to see that girl live for God more than anything. You got Andrea. Miss Anne Marie has two boys, Jamie and Jason. They're twins. And then she's got Andrea. Andrea has never made a profession of faith. She's never showed hardly any interest. She'd come to church. She's miserable. And I pick at her all the time when she's in church. I'm friendly. Go out of my way. You know how I am. (laughs) But Andrea needs to be born again. Her cousin Lena, same thing. Both of those girls need to be born again. Got Kanisha. Kanisha needs to be born again. Kanisha's mom, her dad made a profession years ago, but in our, I think our second gospel tent meeting, Kanisha's dad, Kanisha's dad came, Kanisha came to the tent meeting and asked me about getting baptized. I said, well, you got to get saved in order to get baptized. So her dad come the next night mad at me. I mean, ready to, I mean, he was ready to hurt me because I would not baptize his daughter and he didn't want his daughter to go to hell. I talked to Kim for a long time. Another pastor, and, and then we sat down, we had church after service. Ken made a profession of faith. I believe Ken got born again. But I'll be honest with you, his wife's driven, driven him nuts. His wife needs to get born again. She hates him. They're married. She hates him. You say, how could you say that? Because she told me she hates him. She tried to stab him. Several times. And we listened to another lady, and she came to our church quite a bit. She did stab a man. <laughs> Went to jail for it before I met her. Then went to jail again for stabbing somebody else. We had Bible studies with her on the side of the road. (laughs) But she still needs to be born again. But Kanisha needs to be born again. Kanisha has heard the truth so many times, but rejected it over and over and over again. But Kanisha needs to be born again. I'm going to leave some of these up here. If I didn't give you one, I'll leave them up here, all right? This is Glenn. This is the lady Glenn. She lives on the island of Kanawan, or Union. I'm sorry, Union. But she needs to be born again. She told me she's been to every church in Union. And she says, nobody preaches the truth. She said, if you're coming here, are you going to preach the truth? I don't know whether she's saved or not. She at least can recognize error. But when we, when we go down there, this is what we're going to do. We're going to preach truth so that people like Glenn can get born again. Our boat ministry is so that we can reach Glenn. Our boat ministry is so that we can reach John on the island of Kanawan. John, his family Seventh-day Adventist. Grown up in Seventh-day Adventist trying to keep the law. Trying to follow all these things. They, they don't eat bacon. They don't do this. And he told me this. I said, are you Seventh-day Adventist? He said, no, not really. He said... I don't really believe all that. I said, well, what do you believe? He said, I don't really know what I believe. I was able to give him the gospel, give him a gospel track, send him on his way, but I haven't been back to see John again. When we get in the islands, if I need water, if I need fuel, if I need whatever, he, he's got it. So when we go back, guess what? 
We're going to get to witness to John again. His dad uh, run the mooring business. So this is actually John Jr. His dad is John. His dad helped us. My dinghy quit when I was going across, and his dad drove me to the boat. I kind of like those guys. <laughs> Be friends with them. This is a lady. I don't even know her name. We were, we were handing out gospel tracts uh, while we were on Kenawan. I don't know her name, but God does. This is Princess. I don't know why I saved this one for last, but I'm going to leave it up here too. This is Princess. Princess got saved. Uh, Princess had a baby when she, she got pregnant when she was 15. All right, by Craig. Craig's my age. He's 30-something. This is what happens. They walk the streets. They live on the streets, up and down the roads. Things happen. Princess came to me. She come, started coming to church a little bit with her, with her little baby. All right? She wanted to do a baby dedication. I said, well, I don't really do baby dedications. I said, I do parent dedications. Baby don't care anything I have to say, but I'm going to dedicate the parents. If you want your son to grow up and be right, guess what? You've got to be that first. They, they, they always think I'm weird, but that's the way I do it. But I did their baby dedication. She came. Craig came for the first time, came for the baby dedication. Craig's never been saved. We had our tent meeting. All week long, the only I had two boys get saved in our tent meeting. My tent meeting, two boys got saved from Brother Mitchell's church from across the island. Talk about being jealous. I'd hold the tent meeting, and the other pastor gets people saved. Nobody from my church, nobody from our area got saved. We had a Friday night service at Brother Mitchell's youth meeting. Guess who gets saved? Princess. So Brother Mitchell's folks get saved at my church. My folks get saved at his church. I don't know how that works, but it works. All right, I'll take it. But Princess got saved. Princess right now, she's trying to finish school. We're helping her pay for her school. She's taking care of her, of, of her mom. Her mom can't always do everything. Craig's living there. Shouldn't be, but that's where he's living. But Craig wants to be a father. He's trying to do what's right. Craig needs to be born again. And I know everybody says, well, they ought to get married. She's 17 years old. She don't need to get married yet. She needs to learn to follow God. You say, what is missions all about? Is it about the numbers? No, it's about people. When he's walking those deserts, those people don't care about the Jewish people. They care about themselves. The Japanese people, I, I don't know what their names are. You do. You may not know all of them. Paul didn't know who he was going to reach. He didn't know who Lydia was. You notice a man from Macedonia was crying out for help. First person he reaches is a woman. Second person he reaches is a woman. Paul was probably thinking, well, I've got to reach a man. The women went down to the river. Paul went down to the river with them. We don't know who they are. But just like our mission fields are no different. See, God sees the individual. God sees every person for a person. It's not a number on a card. It's not a number in the populations. It's an individual that needs to be born again. It's no different than here. We, we give so the missionaries, I was, walking, I was looking at the missionary board back there, we give so the missionaries can go to the field. And we, we tell the missionaries, you go to the field, you witness, you, you preach, uh, you get the gospel out and see, and see people saved. We write the letters back and say, hey, uh, nobody got saved. Well, guess what? Be faithful. A lot of times we think that fruit, uh, we, well, I, I, had, I had this many people saved. You know how hard it is to write a prayer letter and nobody got born again? Month after month after month. And you think, well, churches are going to start dropping me because I'm not, I'm not seeing anybody saved. You know, God didn't tell me to go save people. God told me to go be a witness. Go ye therefore into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. If they get saved and when they get saved, then teach them. Brother, you can go and you can preach for 40 years and be faithful in 40 years and nobody gets saved. And guess what? God will still look at you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You say, well no one got saved. It's not up to me up to God you say well if somebody preached for 40 years no one got saved I wouldn't I wouldn't support them we got a whole Bible dedicated to Jeremiah 
But Jeremiah wrote a book. Guess how many people got saved in his ministry? None. You know how many years he preached? Forty years. It's not about the numbers. I had to, I had to start looking at different options. <laughs> when they're not getting saved, what am I going to do? I'm just going to keep preaching the gospel. We've been able to hold nine gospel tent meetings. We've set our tent up nine different times and preached the gospel. Guess what? The gospel's gone out. Have people been saved? We've had some. I haven't had a lot, but we've had some. But I can lay my head on my pillow and say, Lord, I did what I was supposed to do. My burden's still there to see a lot of these people get saved. The ones you're holding are people that still need to be born again. And I'm still going to do my best to reach them and preach to them. But I cannot make them get saved. But I can't keep telling them the truth. Missions is not the number on a card. It's the individuals. So when you write the number here, and you say, Lord, I'm going to give $5, $10, $20, $50, $75, $100, or another. Why don't you take that picture and put that picture next to it? Maybe staple it to this card because this will be the side you keep to remind you of what you're supposed to give and then put the picture next to it to remind you of why you give. But if it stops there, you've not done enough. And I know we came this way. I saw like five houses. (laughs) I know where I'm at. And I'm sure there's just a few more that way. I don't know what the population is right here, but I imagine it's probably pretty low. You're not going to have a, a church busting out the seams and you know preaching to 20,000 people. But there are a few. And if you'll preach to those few. See, I, I, I mean, look, you have a man that was in the middle of a revival meeting in Samaria. God said, hey, I want you to go to a desert and reach one man. And it was worth it. You say, well, Lord, what am I supposed to do? If we'd be like Paul and endeavor, don't wait for someone to come knock on your door. See, if we as the church would endeavor to go, that endeavoring means that I'm going to seek out a way. That's yesterday, knocking on doors looking for every opportunity to do that. If we would seek them out, the world is not seeking us. They're not looking to come. They're not, I don't know, maybe they are. Are they banging the door down to try to get into church? No. So we ought to be banging their door down trying to get them to Christ. If we'd get them to Christ, it's easier to get them through that door. You can reach them out there. It's easy to get them in the pew. See, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The reason we can't keep a lot of people in church is they've never been born again. When I, when I finally got saved, I, I had a drug problem before I got saved. I was drugged to church. All right? I know I didn't come up with it, but it's accurate. But now I get to go to church. I look forward to it. We're going to have church this morning. We're going to have church this afternoon. If I can make it home in time, I'm going to go to church tonight. Why? Because I love church. In March, I've got two nights open in March where I'm not going to be in church. And I'm excited about it. Need an energy drink already, a whole other cup of coffee. But I'm excited about it. Why? Because I love love church. We have got to do our part to reach the world. But if we would notice that the world is every individual. And I've got pictures I can show you. I promise you, Brother Shabdu's got, well, he's got one on his prayer card. I love it because we've been praying for him. You'll meet people in Japan. The people need to know this is who we're praying for. And I know we've got to be careful. You've got people in Peru. And you're going to reach them. You're going to know them name after name after name. That's who we're going to reach. So church, I'm challenging you this morning. And us missionaries as well. It's not about the numbers. Be faithful to those that God puts in our path. But church, you be faithful to reach those here. If we can fill these pews, we can fill that board up. You can support twice as many missionaries. You can get the gospel further. 
But if we quit reaching them here, you got to start pulling cards off the board. We were in a church just this last week. My father-in-law, how old's your dad? He's 56. 50-something. Everybody else in that church was over 60, 70 years old. The pastor, 70-something years old. They were, they were, we were in a church building. He was preaching a revival meeting. They needed revivals, what they said, and they had a revival meeting. But there's nobody in that church my age. They say that church used to run over 100, busting at the seams. And now there's hardly anybody. If they ever supported missionaries, they can't anymore, hardly. Why? Because if they're not reaching them here, we can't reach them there. So we as the church, we've got to be challenged. The giving here ought to start with the giving out here. I asked the question to the church the other day about this, and I know I've been long and I'm done. Brother, if you want to, if you want to come. I asked the church this other day. I said, if you were a missionary, would you support you? If you were a missionary, would you support you? Because if you were to write a prayer letter to your pastor and say, Pastor, this is what I've done this month. And you were to read that and say, well, I didn't witness anybody. I didn't share the gospel once. You say, well, I'm not the pastor. Show me where go ye therefore in all the world and preach the gospel. Whatever creature is the pastor's call. That's the command of the church. Every individual is responsible for reaching their generation. I believe when we read through the book of Acts, I believe all the world heard the gospel. Did they all get saved? That's not what it says. But they heard the gospel. Have we, have we endeavored to reach all the world with the gospel in our generation? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Lord, thank you, God, for your word. Lord, thank you for all that you have done for me. I pray, Lord, you would challenge the church, but Lord, also challenge me. Lord, to do more than we've ever done before. Love you. Thankful, Lord, for what you've done, what you will do. In your name we pray. Amen.